Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Wise men follow him. Northern Maine. Welcome to the Northern Maine Landman Show. On the, con- the Conscience of Maine. Broadcast today in Maine on WXME, 780 AM in Monticello, 1700 AM in Lewiston, 88.1 FM in Westbrook and Orono, 96.5 FM in Brewer and Bangor, Maine. Well, gas price today in Biddeford, Maine is $1.99 a gallon. Two forty-nine in Wells. Biddeford and Wells border each other, and one town is fifty cents a gallon higher than the other. These people just don't keep track of these things. Diesel is two dollars and twenty-eight cents in Sanford, and diesel was three forty-six in New Gloucester, and they're up a dime from last week. So. 28, 38, 48. It's a dollar 18 more in uh, in New Gloucester than it is in Sanford. Sanford is way down. Sanford just about borders on New Hampshire. May border on New Hampshire, down in York County. But still, 346 is pretty steep for for uh, for diesel at this at this point in time. It was 428 last year, but uh, here we are, uh, people riding around in in uh, these Volkswagens that have a chip in them that that fools the pollution sensor. <laughs> so somebody, somebody slipped that in. Some engineer at at Volkswagen slipped that in there to make to make it look good. I don't think it was a corporate decision where the board of directors sat around a big table and said, "Let's let's put put together a fraud here on the world," because these computers are used in, in lots of different countries. Some countries don't care. Some some countries they just simply take the catalytic converter out, put in a piece of pipe first thing, so they'll get better mileage for the life of the vehicle. I mean they. This global warming thing is perceived by the average citizen in most countries as a hoax, which is correct. It's a hoax. It's the biggest scam perpetrated on on citizens of the world, if you will, in a long time. I mean, it's pretty pretty hard to, to bamboozle the populations of, of most, most countries. Most people are reasonably sensible 
uh, I tell you, we it's it's bad in this country, and uh, I've had some experiences this week that just kind of shake me. Uh, I had breakfast with a guy this morning. I like to go down to the local coffee shop and exchange the news of the day, and and uh, this one fella worked for a contractor who was rehabbing low-income housing in Maine. They got this federally and state-subsidized low-income housing, Section 8 housing. They go in there and they rehab the apartments when the apartment won't won't pass inspection. And they went in and rehabbed a bunch of apartments and the people moved in. And people complained about various things. And There was one it was one apartment they had to go into, and they they wanted the back of the edge of the kitchen counter to be caulked. So they had to go in, and this apartment had been occupied for two weeks. And it was so filthy and cluttered that they had to clean the counter off before they could put their arms on it to, to clean the... Uh, to recock the edge of this thing. The counter was straight, but the wall was crooked. And so they had to caulk. And probably when the frost moves the building a little bit, it'll open up again. But these people that are getting free, a dollar a month to rent this thing, okay? And it was paid for by you and I, people who actually work. And they're complaining that there's a little opening in the seam in the back of the counter. And the state hired a contracting company to go in and caulk that seam. And this fella, is, they've finished, they've done a whole lot of Section 8 rehab in the last couple of years. And they finished all the work, and that contracting company has hired a bunch of Maine people to go down to New Jersey and rehab uh, Section 8 housing. Now, these, this housing is privately owned. But the state subsidizes it. It has to be up to state standards. So they, the guy that owns the building collects the rent, what rent there is from the from the tenants, and the state sends the guy a check for the balance. So if the rent is, I think, a round number, $500 a month, and the guy is paying $8 a month, the, the landlord has to struggle to collect the $8 from the family that's living there, and then the state sends them the other $492, provided there's no crack in the sink behind the or behind the counter. If you can't, if there is, they won't pay the $8, and he has to go in and, and fix that counter. That's the system as it exists. This guy is a is a good carpenter. He's made his life as a carpenter. He was a union carpenter, and he was also uh, a union plumber at the same time. Two different unions. Paying dues in two different unions. But uh, they don't do that anymore. You've got to pick one. You can't be multitasking in the union. A contractor can do everything. A contractor can build a house. He can be a union Stonemason. You can be a stonemason, brick mason. Uh, you can be a carpenter, electrician, plumber, uh, landscaper. You know, 
all the things that are entailed in building a home. Mainly, got a whole lot of people that do it do it yourself. I put an addition on this old house. My house is let's see, 120 years old, 130 years old, 130 years old. And uh, when I put an addition on the house, you know everything had to be custom made because the house isn't exactly straight. Reasonably straight. You look at it from the road, and the ridge pole is straight, and the house looks good, but. One wall was bowed, so I was gonna I was gonna make a master rafter and use it as a pattern to make all the other rafters. Well, the bottom end of each rafter is identical, but the top end, each rafter had to be fitted to the building as it exists. And uh I know how to do that. That's not a problem to to custom fit the rafter so it'll be still straight as a string, but it sits on a sill that that uh, isn't well aligned today. And the two guys that built the house back in 1885 uh, didn't put the rafters on 16-inch centers. There were two men, and I figured it out how it happened. But the two men uh, took turns putting the rafters up. And the distance separating the rafters was the distance between a man's elbow and his closed fist. And one guy, and they were very precise. I mean, they were within an eighth of an inch of spacing. But one of them was something like uh, 18 and a half, and the other one was 19 and three quarters as they spaced these rafters across the roof. I thought, how in the world? Why would anybody do that? They weren't measuring with, with rulers. They were measuring with their forearm. And I, looking at my own forearm, this guy, one guy was taller than the other, and it was like 18 and a half and 19 and three quarters. And it was, <laughs> it was kind of humorous when I, when I realized it. And they, when I tore the old wall off to bump it out and make a new bathroom and a new office, a bigger office, and things... I found newspapers in there from the 1800s, and then I uh, I found three brass mantle uh, lanterns, brass mantles for lanterns, and right just neatly lined up in a row, a little dust on them, and uh, it was kind of interesting. It, what they did is they they set those mantles in there when they electrified the house back probably 1935, 1940, something like that, when they put electricity in. And they say, well, we might need those. We'll just set them in there. I found the three of them. Just beyond the end of the third one, I found a bottle, a pint bottle. And it said, Miss Lydia's Preparation for Ladies. And it listed a whole bunch of ailments, such as nervousness and uh, anxiety and things like that that could be cured by the use of this medication. Huh. You know, Miss Lydia's preparation for ladies. Well, I took and, and uh, took that pint bottle and, and it had a screw-on cap. So that, you know, it wasn't prior to 1930, so you started screw-on cap started in the, in the 1930s. So I took my, my pliers and I put a piece of leather on there and very, very 
carefully wiggled the cap until it until it came loose. I couldn't take it off with my fingers. And carefully unscrewed the cap, and there was a, a piece of cardboard on the top. So I took my jackknife and very carefully lifted that up. And I took a sniff, not knowing what it was going to smell like at all. It was rum. That was good Jamaican rum in there. And the lady of the household uh, was probably taking a couple of ounces at a time out of uh, Dad's bottle of rum and putting in her own little special stash. It's kind of kind of humorous the way uh, we people led their lives back in the old days. But uh, there was a song uh, back in the in the sixties. You know, get through the day with a little help from my friends. Well, the friends were were uh, anti-anxiety medications, Motrin and whatnot. Don't know. I don't know the names of them because I don't take any of that stuff. But spoke about. They sang about a little help from my friends. The friends were were uh, being a barber tall. You know, uppers. Uh, Help make you feel feel a little better about life in general. Well, the weather today beautiful, sunny day, fall day in Maine, crystal clear, blue sky, a high near 48. Calm wind, becoming south five to seven in the afternoon. I had to run to Lincoln and get my wood splitter. I, my uh, the coupling between the engine and the hydraulic pump on a wood splitter. It's got three fingers coming down and three uh, from the engine and three fingers coming up from the from the hydraulic pump and in between with those fingers there's a there's a piece of uh plastic coupling it's, it acts like a bearing between these fingers and mine failed last year and it failed again last week I didn't have time to fix it I had to go to augusta and uh Went in this morning, and I was there when they opened up and got my wood splitter back. I hope it lasts lasts a while. (laughs) So, sunny with a high near 48, calm wind becoming south 5 to 7 in the afternoon. Tonight, showers likely after 5 p.m., increasing clouds, low around 39. South wind, 9 to 11. Chance of precipitation during the night is... Less is 60%, and new precipitation amounts of less than a tenth of an inch. And Sunday, showers mainly before 11 a.m., high near 53. South wind around 15 miles an hour, with gusts as high as 26 miles an hour. Chance of precipitation, 90%. New precipitation is between a tenth and a quarter of an inch. It's kind of showery off and on all day tomorrow, so this morning is the time. Today, today is uh, is the day to get your chores done. Do a little bird hunting. Uh, Factors will be out sunning themselves, all fluffed up, getting a little gravel in the roads this afternoon. Get your chores done. Do a little bird hunting. Be careful. Sunday night, uh, partly cloudy, low around 33. Northwest wind, 
9 to 13 miles an hour. Now, that shifting wind means you're going to have a little bit of a cold front coming through, which is what's, that's what's going to cause the rain. And then Monday, sunny with a high near 47, north wind, 7 to 9 miles an hour. I've said on this show during the wintertime sometimes, the north wind is cold no matter what direction it comes from. Okay. Well, Ben Carson took the lead in, in the latest poll in Iowa ahead of Trump. I don't know if that's going to make Trump nervous or not. I think he's just in it for the entertainment value. But he's a good administrator, good negotiator. Trump wrote a book uh, called The Art of the Deal. And the nature of commerce is a willing buyer and a willing seller. And, you know, I broker. I am a real estate broker. One of the many things that I do, but but uh, I look at the word broker as a verb. I broker. Most people look at the word broker as somebody's got a license, something that uh, you know, you got a real estate broker, you got a stock broker, you got a commodities broker, you know, various kinds of. Uh, of brokers, and it's a license or it's a thing. I look at the word broker as a verb. Now they call a verb an action word, something that you do. I broker, and I try to find, meet the needs of both parties, the buyer and the seller. And nature commerce is a willing buyer and a willing seller. Somebody wants to buy a piece of land, you got to find him a piece of land that is suitable to him at a price that he's able to afford. And he may find a beautiful piece of land that he's in love with, but it's worth $75,000 and his budget is 25000 Well, obviously the seller isn't going to come down to 25000 so that deal isn't going to come together. But I've got to, I can find a buyer, that guy with the beautiful piece of land, and I can find a piece of land for that, that uh, that buyer that wants to buy, but his budget is twenty five thousand. There's a lot of nice land for sale for twelve to twenty five thousand. Sometimes seventy five hundred dollars, and it's a decent lot where he can park his camper and have a place to be, and still have be able to cut a little firewood and maintain that lot. A lot of buyers. You know, when they see 40-acre lots, they can't imagine what 40 acres is like. It's just way beyond their comprehension. That 40 acres, if it was square, would be exactly a quarter of a mile by a quarter of a mile. Wow. You know, 1,320 feet of road frontage? God, that's a quarter of a mile? Yeah, quarter of a mile road frontage on this gravel road. Holy man, it goes back a quarter of a mile? Yep. 1,320 feet. Whoa. That's over 400 yards. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's almost 450 yards. Whoa. Huge piece of property, you know. And people were buying 40-acre lots all the time when the state, they created the the 40-lot system. The legislature said that we, you know, legislature, was anxious about sprawl. Sprawl is a buzzword. They want people to live in core service communities. 
where people will live in a government-approved condo or a government-approved apartment. And they have a little common area, like a, a park, where they have a couple of picnic benches there. And, and uh, that's what they like. That's what they want people to live. They can walk to the post office. They can walk to the store. And, you know, for a lot of people, short-term, that's a convenient way to live. Because it meets the needs of their job. They move into an area. They're not quite sure about the schools and where they want to live yet, whatever. And they can live there temporarily until they develop a plan. And then they want to go out and they want to buy the 25 acres with a house and a barn and a field and the woods, a little bit of water. You know, that's the ideal property. I wish they had a dozen of them for sale. Got a nice one in Springfield right now. It's about 40 acres of old growth. When I say old growth, I mean there's not a stump on the place. Big old trees. When Sir Walter Raleigh came to the United States, what was then the Virginia colony, he uh, he said you could get on a horse and ride at a full gallop through the forest. And in England, they just couldn't believe that. It just that can't be true. But a mature forest, the youngest trees don't have enough sunlight, so they can't take root and, and grow. But a seed lasts a long time, whether it's a maple seed or if it doesn't get eaten up by by rodents, you know, squirrels, red squirrels, gray squirrels, mice, uh, and deer also. But if the seeds don't get eaten up, they'll just sit there and they'll be covered by leaves. And they'll sit there for years sometimes. And then the big old pine tree gets hit by lightning and blows over and, and uh, dies. And you got a hole in the canopy. And the sun comes down and it hits the forest floor. And all of a sudden you got a whole bunch of young trees growing because the ground warmed up and the seed germinated. And it was a fertile seed when it fell from the tree. And all of a sudden you got this little clump of brush in the middle of the forest where the sunlight hits the forest floor. Main forests regenerate themselves. And if you don't bush hog a field, it will be a forest. I've got one more field to do this fall. It's about four acres, and it's the, behind a house. And the guy wants to keep the field. I love that. But, you know, we've had five million acres of fields grow up into forest in my lifetime in the state of Maine. They, and as the old-timers would say, they went back. They went back to the way it was before those fields were cleared. As pastures and, and uh, agricultural fields, and that's nature's way. You know? The environmentalists want us to go back to a pre-Columbian state, which is before Columbus came here. I think that was, that was the way the earth ought to be. We don't belong here. And they'll tell us we don't belong here. Came across a couple of interesting things uh, this week. And the Daily Real Estate News, October 12th. And there's an awful lot of people that don't have down payment to buy a house. Now, the government has said that veterans don't need a down payment. It used to be that 
veterans, when they get out of the service, you know, weren't able to put a lot of savings together because they didn't make very much money. So the Veterans Administration said, we will loan these guys money to buy a house with no down payment. The bank said, great, that works, because the loan was guaranteed by the Veterans Administration. It's a VA loan. That still exists. The guy can retire after 20 years as a major or a colonel, and he can still get a no-interest loan, excuse me, no-down payment loan. Of course, he has to pay interest like everybody else. But, but these people, veterans, have proven themselves to be reliable and responsible people. Now, sometimes a veteran will get out of the military and he has been led by the, the structure of the military. And he is no longer able to function in society. Uh, and some of these guys become homeless because they just have lost the ability to, to get it together and manage their own lives because they've been in a structured society for so long. And this is not a deficiency on their part. I mean, it's it's not a willful neglect on their part, is a better way to put that. These guys need some support, and, uh, and we ought to be there for them. And uh, the VA is, is, can be a good thing. But the VA is like all bureaucracies, and it becomes... corrupt, and it, they disrespect their clients, like the IRS. Most most federal agencies have contempt for the average citizen. Not all of the people, but the agency itself at the top is contemptuous of their clients, or in the case of hospitals, their patients, and it shows. It's not raging accusations and uh, disparagement of the people, but it shows in their attitude and their manner toward their, their clients. And those people need to find a different line of work because they lack understanding, compassion for their clients. And it's not always the fault of the individual that is brought into that as an occupation. Sometimes it's the fault of the institution because they come in and join the institution with the highest of goals. It, it's a noble thing, or potentially a noble thing, and there are still people within those institutions that that do a great job, and no question about it. But the institution itself is is flawed and derelict. We've got to correct that. As a society, we've got to correct that. And I went off on this tangent. I didn't mean to spend quite this much time on it, but I went off on this tangent because the real estate news on Monday, October 12th, said that 
62% of Americans, 62% of all Americans have less than $1,000 in their savings accounts. 21% don't even have a savings account. Now let's add that up. 62 and 21 is 83. 83% of Americans either don't have a savings account or they have less than $1,000 in their savings account. That's a lot of people. 83%. And they wonder why Walmart is laying people off and closing stores and retail businesses are closing up and downsizing, laying other laying people off. Our economy is unraveling. And we're approaching the, the point where it's just going to fall apart. It will not totally cease to function because that's not the way humanity is is built. We're always going to have supply and demand. We're always going to have people that have money. When I went into this business, my father said to me, so you're going to, you're going to go into real estate? And I said, yep. I said, that's what I'm going to do. So, well, he said, back during the Depression, there were people riding around in Packards and Cadillacs and Duesenbergs and building beautiful homes on the lakes. There will always be people with money. It's true. There will always be people with money. Some some work hard. Most people in with money, most of the millionaires in our country are self-made millionaires. They did not inherit the money. They, they worked hard to earn it. And they have earned it. They didn't catch the brass ring or just or get lucky. They earned it. You know, Henry Ford and the Wright brothers started out with nothing. Glenn Curtis built an airplane right after the Wright brothers did. He had a different different uh, design, and you know, all aircraft obey the basic laws of aerodynamics, so they won't fly. But within that large uh, pattern of opportunity to fly, there are all kinds of different airplanes that have, have been designed. And the ones that look like the, uh, the 737 right now are pretty much the standard design. You have to have a good eye to tell the difference between the 737 and the ones made in Europe. And now they've got they've got the uh, 757, I believe. It's uh, the big uh, the Dreamliner made by Boeing, and it's made out of uh, composites. Essentially, it's a fiberglass and plastic airplane. But it's a twin engine, and the twin engines are huge. One engine on each side, and it'll fly on one engine. You're going off the end of the runway, just lifting off, and you lose an engine. You're in, you're in big trouble, because you got a whole load of passengers, you got a whole load of fuel, and it won't take off with one engine. But once you're airborne, and up to speed, if you lose an engine, you can turn around, go land in some airport, and do that very successfully. So 
notice the cars are looking more and more like the four passenger uh, sedan. They're looking more and more alike. Well, they put these cars in wind tunnels, and they're optimizing them. And the basic shapes are very similar. Oh, it's interesting. You look at look at minivans, and the basic shapes are very similar. So, phone fell down. I hope we don't get disconnected here. All right. I uh, went down to the Maine School Management Association conference in Augusta. Spent two days down there, Thursday and Friday, and learned a few things. I learned that uh, they commented on some of the things that I knew, but I learned quite a bit about a lot of different things. In the past four years, Maine has has four different testing systems to test kids. Now, we test kids in the fourth grade, eighth grade, in the 11th grade to see how they're doing. And you parents and the schools should be able to take a look at how your kid did and where he ranked in the school. You know, is he in the, in the top 10% or is he somewhere near average kid? Or he's really deficient in one or more areas. And then you can look at your school and see how your school compared with other schools in the area. And they have a list that comes out for the whole state. You can see where your school stood among other schools. And people that buy in homes, one of the first things, if they have children, one of the first things they do is look at how, how did that school, where my kids would be going, rank among the other schools. And there are some towns where people just flat won't buy a home in that town because... The school system is turning out kids that are severely deficient. Now, it could be that in that community, the parents don't have very much of an education. They don't encourage their kids in school. They have a resentment toward teachers because they didn't do well in school, and they have a a basic resentment in the family toward education. And that's kind of tough to overcome when you have a student in your class coming from that background. And if you've got a whole lot of kids around, it's tough. So the teachers face problems. But once you look at themselves, what are you going to do? You know, are you going to put your kid into a school where the, most of the kids do poorly for whatever reason? Are you going to put your kids into a school where most of the kids do well? They're high achievers for whatever reason. Now, in order to be high achievers, they've got to have a good school system. And probably the parents in that in that community are supportive of the school system. doesn't mean it's perfect, but it means it's good. It's good to have your kids in a good school. That's one of the one of the big factors for families of school-aged children or family, young couple who intends to have children and tends to stay somewhere, hopefully, for a number of years. 
Well, the fact that the state has had four different systems in four years has produced a lot of uncertainty and chaos. And this came down from the state. This is not some local school district that decided to go off on their own. Uh, the state has, has imposed this on us as communities, taxpayers. And there is a lot of, of angst <laughs> among the educators locally and on a state level. But spending has gone up $40 million over last year. So this year we're getting $40 million more from the state to educate kids. I hope it gets spent wisely. At the, at the introduction of the school, they have a, they have a big... Uh, A big introduction of the officers and whatnot, and the the uh, keynote speaker was a man named Chris Cassidy from York, Maine. He was an ordinary kid going through school. He got slightly above average grades, and then he kind of kind of blossomed in high school, and he he did very well in high school. He played sports. Got, did well academically, and he applied for the Naval Academy. And he got an appointment to the Naval Academy from from the representative down there at the time in, in the first district of Maine. And he, oh boy, this is wonderful. And then he contacted the Naval Academy and said, "When do I report?" They said, "Who are you?" <laughs> Somebody slipped up and didn't put the paperwork in. So they didn't know who he was. They didn't, he wasn't any part of their record. And all of a sudden, he's told, you're not going to the Naval Academy. What do you mean? My congressman told me I was going to the Naval Academy. And he, he said, look, how are we going to solve this? I need to go to the Naval Academy. So he was persistent enough. And he didn't just roll over and say, accept this and say, oh, gee, that's too bad. He was determined, and I understand this. I I was in a similar situation as a kid. You know, I I mentioned before that I started out cleaning up behind the cows. Saw the Blue Angels fly by, and I said, you know, I would rather fly a Navy airplane than drive this manure spreader. I got to find out how to do that, and that's what this Chris did. So the Navy says, I tell you what. We're going to send you to Newport for one year to the Naval Academy Prep School. And the Naval Academy Prep School teaches you about the military and what they expect. And it also teaches you, uh, essentially, what you're going to do the first year at the Naval Academy. So the young guys and gals that come through the prep school do really well at the Naval Academy because they want them to succeed. They don't just land there and go through essentially a boot camp and then get dumped into this academic grinder and they lose a bunch out of the Naval Academy and they wind up uh, just going home or going into the Navy and, and learning some other 
skill in the Navy. Not everybody makes it through that enters. But he, uh, he had a real interesting career. He went through the Naval Academy, got out of the Naval Academy, went through SEAL training, became a Navy SEAL. And that's, that's, hard, that's tough. It takes a great deal of, of self-discipline, courage, and endurance, and a spirit that says, I won't quit. Well, he had that spirit at York, in York County, as a kid. And I, when I went through Navy flight training, I was determined that I was going to make it. And I wound up in the top third of my class. And I could pretty much name my own ticket was what I wanted to do. It can be done. A country kid can do this. And we don't tell the kids often enough that you can do this. We tend to pigeonhole the average kids and maybe even the below average kids. And they they accept the fact that they're not going to do well in life. It's a tragedy. And we've got to overcome this. And the teachers grumbling about the parents uh, is nonproductive. You've got to focus on the kid and, you know, knowing where the kid came from and knowing the child's home circumstances, you can make compensations and adjustments. Let him stay after school and do his homework right there in the building. There'd probably be a late bus because he's not going to do his homework at home. He's not going to have the opportunity because of the stress and the conditions in that home. Give the kid a chance. Okay. The Maine School Management Association Conference in Augusta could have been retitled as the Common Core Victory Rally because they have adopted Common Core. The administrators, the teachers, there weren't many teachers there, a lot of former teachers, but this thing was for the School Management Association. This outfit is the superintendents, the principals, the state Department of Education uh, employees, and school boards. And I'm on a school board, and that's why I was there. But school boards have to create a budget, and they have to supposed to set goals. But most school boards don't really set goals and they're not good at enforcing the goals that were set. They just kind of say, well, that's the way it is, and they accept it. They're like jurors in a way. You know, you get picked to jury duty, and you get a limited amount of information regarding the matters at hand, and you're supposed to make a decision that's going to affect this person for the rest of his life or her life. And schools are like that. School boards are like that. We need to get people that are engaged and interested in this and want to learn something about it because what's going on in the system is scary. Now, briefly, I'm going to comment on one thing and I'm going to jump into the scary part. hope it doesn't keep you awake at night. The Maine School Management Association has sample policies for Common Core. Here, take this, do this. 
It's like a prescription that you pick up at the doctor's office. Take this pill. Take this medicine. We were forced to consolidate our schools and get into uh, RSUs, regional school units. So your SAD or your town was forced to merge into a larger unit because they like big government, they like big units. So we read this in our in our SAD and found that there was an alternative operating system. You don't have to give up your SAD. You don't have to give up your own budget. You don't have to give up your hiring and firing of your employees. You've got a school bus driver that, you know, really shouldn't be a school bus driver. There has to be a way to to find an alternate career path for this individual. And the same with teachers. Now, teachers don't get fired very often, but when they need to be evaluated, and yeah, we've got to be able to measure the results of how, how this teacher is producing. Because if you've got a teacher that stunts the growth academically of, of their classes, you know, you're going to have to address that at some point. So we bec- we joined an alternative operating system so that we kept our own budget and the other group towns kept their own budgets and we shared a superintendent. So our superintendent is the superintendent for all of the AOS and we shared the expenses of running the superintendent's office. You know, you got the secretary and you've got an accountant, a bookkeeper, whatever. And uh, towns are now withdrawing from these because the state passed a wonderful law that says penalties have been removed. Now they were going to fine you penalize you if you didn't join these things. So, you know, we had to join something. We went with the alternative operating system, but we kept an escape clause so that we could we could walk away and not get fined. Well, now the legislature has said you can get your liberty back. Your town can resume operation of its own school, and there are no penalties. Now, you have to look at this carefully. Can you, as a, as a little town, can you afford to do this? But if the answer is yes, the state is not going to fine you if you walk away. It has to be done by a vote. You can't, can't get a group of, of half a dozen people that say, we want to pull out and, uh, and do that. The people have a vote on this. But it's all around the state. The... Uh, in fact, there are eight, five AOSs split in the past year. Eighteen schools were closed because they simply couldn't afford to run the schools anymore because of declining enrollment. But seven charter schools have been approved. So you can send your kid to a charter school that specializes in math and engineering, for example, or agriculture or the arts, and they've got one for for uh, deaf and blind kids. It will function better with other deaf and blind kids than they will in the local schools, and they can be they can learn more. And two towns quit the RSU that they were in. They went over to the RSU next town over, and there's no penalties to do this. 
So that's uh, that's a remarkable thing. I wasn't aware of that. I'm glad I. It's the biggest thing that I learned down there. But there is uh, there's something else happening. That's a scary thing. And you study. You know, I got involved with learning about the Delphi process when I was still in the military because what happened to our soldiers that were captured by red Chinese communists was a terrible thing. And these soldiers came back, and I've talked about the Delphi method before. And we need to become more aware of it because they are they're brainwashing our kids. They're brainwashing our kids using the same methods the Red Chinese used to brainwash our troops in Korea. And they have a term, that they call it. They call it habits of mind. And they want the, your kids to all think alike and to work in groups and to be very, very conforming to how the group feels and what the group believes. Well, you take a look at the voter registration cards of the educators in your town, and it's public information. You can go in the town office and find out who is registered with what party and who is unenrolled. They just they're registered to vote, but they they want to vote on the town budget, but they don't want to be active in, in any party or be identified with any party. A lot of independence in the state of Maine, and that's okay. But most the National Education Association and the Maine Education Association contributes to Democrats and progressives. That's all they contribute to. They don't contribute any money to conservatives or support conservatives as a group. You, a liberty-loving citizen, and you want to run for office, you can expect that you're going to be opposed by the education establishment because of their own habits of mind. Now, Saul Alinsky wrote a book about the transformation process and destroying America. He was a radical, I mean, far-left radical communist. And he was one of the, you know, communists can be broken down into categories, too. He was one of the the worst ones. And uh, he says, few of us survived the Joe McCarthy Holocaust of the early 1950s, and of those that were even fewer, whose understanding and insights had developed beyond the dialectical materialism of orthodox Marxism. Okay, now that's a mouthful. Dialectical materialism of orthodox Marxism. He thinks that people should be developed beyond orthodox Marxism into something even worse, even more evil. And he said, any revolutionary change must be preceded by a passive, affirmative, non-challenging attitude toward change among the mass of our people. They must feel so frustrated, so defeated, so lost, so futureless in the prevailing system 
that they are willing to let go of the past and chance the future. This acceptance is the reformation essential to any revolution. People must become so frustrated with the status quo and the inability to change it that they are willing to take a chance on something they aren't necessarily comfortable with. What's the status quo? Walk in any restaurant, pub, bar, or other place where people congregate and listen. You'll hear them talking about what concerns the majority of people, high taxes, inflation, wages, layoffs, unemployment rates, the high cost of goods and services, health insurance, industry closing up, either moving out or going out of business, crime as the more prevalent topics of discussion. And ultimately, the conversation comes around to the government and its role. People are becoming more and more frustrated with a government that moves at a turtle's pace, is inefficient, and whose idea of addressing a problem is not to fix the problem, but to establish yet another task force, council, commission to look into it, study it, dissect it, talk it to death, see what others are doing about it, preferably in person, and preferably in a foreign country, and finally, after an extended period of time, create more bureaucracy at taxpayer expense to create more control over the people and justify the burgeoning bureaucracy of government while doing nothing to correct the problem. (laughs) Paul Alinsky, raving, frothing at the mouth communist, okay? Does that sound familiar? Okay. Habits of mind. That's the buzzword, the latest buzzword in education. They want our students to have similar habits of mind on the way to having identical habits of mind. They want them to be conformist. They want them to be solid members of the group. And Lech Walesa in, in Poland formed the Solidarity Movement. He was a good guy. He was a union leader in a shipyard at in Gdansk in Poland. And I hope that the union president down in Bath Ironworks is a lot like Saul Lewinsky because he led a movement and became president of his country in Poland and led Poland out of communism. And uh, what a heroic individual. And I hope, I don't know, don't, I know nothing about who is, who's the union president down in, in, in Bath, but the fact that they make military ships, you know, maybe he's a patriot. Or maybe she's a patriot if it's a lady. But when you get into mind control, which is what the Red Chinese did to our soldiers in Korea, it was brainwashing. And the main education association is brainwashing our kids. I've got it documented. I hold it in my hand as we speak. Habits of mind. And the classroom behavior that indicate habits of mind, and if you if your kid doesn't 
conform to their vision of habits of mind, your kid will not be allowed to graduate from high school by 2018. We've got three years to go. And then they're all going to be alike. They're all going to think alike. And they're all going to vote alike. That's what they want. And it's happening to your kids. It's happening to the kids in our schools. And this thing that I went to for the last two days was a victory celebration of Common Core. That's what this is. And the key term that you're going to see, if you ever go to a school board meeting, somewhere during the course of that school board meeting, you're going to hear habits of mind mentioned. And they want your students to listen with empathy. And they want to manage impulsivity. No. Boys are impulsive. And they want boys to be less like men. Think about that. Think about, um, as a man, who you're, who you look up to. They're good fathers. They were good employees. They're good breadwinners. They were good leaders. Whether they're EMTs, volunteer firemen, they, whether they coach the little league or, or the bandmaster in the town band, they took part. They were active citizens, and but these the educational establishment wants to manage the impulsivity of your kids. They want the, your kids to seek to be understood, and they want your kids to work toward team goals. Well, teams, athletic teams, are a good thing. They and they foster competition. And they have to work as a team, as a group. That type of group think is okay. But getting them to be compliant from some unseen force is not a good thing. Habits of mind, they want them to meet quality standards. And they want to set and monitor goals. And this is going to be group-led. The group is going to decide the students. Your, your child's fellow students are going to decide how your child should fit in and comply with the group. Your guiding principles, creative and practical, the habits of mind, maintaining a growth mindset. They want them to grow and become more and more conformist so that by the time they get out of high school, they'll be totally conformist, conforming to every every standard set by the group. It's a good thing that Henry Ford and and uh, Warville Wright, Wilbur Wright, and Len Curtis, who they come to mind first with me because I'm a pilot. And then they formed Curtis and Wright got together and they formed Curtis Wright Aircraft Engine Company. Aviation grew. We're not going to have any people like that. Steve Jobs had uh, invented object-oriented computers. You click on something on the screen and something else would appear. You didn't have to enter a line of instructions on an 80-digit punch card. 
you could work off the screen. And he came up with that idea. So we're going to have to have people that think outside the box. Because Steve Jobs was definitely nonconformist. They found the first Apple computer. An Apple computer bought it. It's been sent a pile of money for it. It was available at a yard sale. And it was Steve Jobs' first computer that he built in the garage. He didn't keep it as, as a historical thing. You know, he went on to the next computer. But uh, I tell you, it's a scary thing what's happening in education today. I'm on a school board, and I'm I want to I want to encourage excellence. We need that. We need kids that can think outside the box and invent stuff. The guy I had coffee with this morning says the last time a young man came to him and said, I want to be a carpenter, was 14 years ago. Nobody has come to him since 14 years ago and said, I want to be a carpenter. It's And it's the same thing with plumbers and brick masons and stone masons and pipe fitters and millwrights and machinists. Our education system is guiding students away from this. And I'm a big fan of of the uh, vocational schools in Maine. And uh, I'm hoping that we can keep this going because there are people that don't want it to go. This has been the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, the Conscience of Maine, broadcast today in Maine on WXME, 7.80 a.m. in Monticello, 1700 a.m. in Lewiston, 88.1 FM in Westbrook, 88.1 uh, excuse me, 88.1 Westbrook and Orinal, 90, my print's too small, <laughs> 96.5 FM Brewer in Bangor, Maine. Get out there and enjoy this glorious day that the Lord has made. It's beautiful. I'm going to find out who's been calling me on the phone during this thing. And uh, be safe. God bless. See you next week. Wise men follow him. They rose again. Wise men follow him. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.